Have you ever wondered what you have in common with perfect strangers you see on the street or on your screen? Have you ever asked yourself where you belong? In this podcast, you will hear the voices of people who by choice or obligation have moved to a new place. Expats, migrants, refugees, we all learn from our journey. I never expected to have such a culture shock when I moved here and uh, for many years the Americans were just a mystery to me. It teaches us about our own values and cultural bias. But most importantly, it helps us discover what makes us all deeply human. You know, you meet all these people from all these different cultures and there's certain things that's the same everywhere. My nature is to find common ground uh, with anyone. I always can. My name is Valerie. Welcome, Perfect Stranger. Today, you will hear Roya's story. She had to leave Iran in order to be able to study in a university. Tons of my friends left the borders, hiding in caves, wearing sheepskin. Right. You know, in those days, there would be people who would get a lot of money from families mm -hmm. to take the kids out of the country. She never thought she would spend all her life in the United States. As for many immigrants, it is difficult for her to be far away from her country and family. The first year in the U.S., I loved it. So the goal was to, you know, have education in the U.S., but always going back mm -hmm. and serve your country. We never thought we would leave. So, are you guys excited to hear her story? So first, I want to thank you to be here with me. I'm really glad because I don't know your story, so I'm going to discover it. I was born in, I'm in Tehran, Iran, the capital, the largest city in Iran. My childhood couldn't have been more perfect. Perfect mother and father, perfect family setting, and a middle class, upper middle class family. My um, father worked for the government, or he was in charge of the palaces in Tehran. You know, 60s and 70s, Iran was paradise. And I was thinking about this interview today, and uh, I was reminiscing about those days. Mm -hmm. I always go back to those days. Perfect family, you know, even my, my mom's side of the family were friends with my dad's side of the family, that close-knit. The, you know, New Year and Nauru's uh, vacations, going to the Caspian Sea. I mean, it's just something that I always fall back on. And I'm sorry that my kids never experienced that. Mm -hmm. So I was a good student throughout elementary, middle and high school to the point that, I don't know, I was like number two in our county. Our educational system is very difficult, but we thrive. When you were in Iran, did you have the chance to meet young people from other countries, or it was mainly Iranians? My uncle had a French wife, so a lot of my cousins are half Iranian, half French, so there's that French connection. My youngest aunt was a professor at Sorbonne, and you know, um, so she would travel back and forth and moved back to Iran for um, some time. My other cousins lived in Germany, so, you know, back and forth. 
in those days, in the 70s, I remember my mom worked for National Petroleum Company's library. She was the head librarian. So mm-hmm. there were parties that, you know, you would see Brits and French and Americans. So when you finished high school, what did you do after? You know, the revolution, so-called revolution, happened in 1978. Mm-hmm. Probably 1980, 81 was when I graduated high school. I was lucky because that very year they started putting, a, you know, hijab and covering your hair mandatory, even in, in the public schools, everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I was lucky I didn't experience that. But they would ask us to just pretend you have this inside the school, and the minute we would step outside, we would take it off. For probably, you know, they closed down all the universities in the name of cultural revolution. They wanted to change the whole format and the school curriculum, make it Islamic, and they closed the university. So you can imagine for a student who was a pretty top student, mm-hmm. I had a goal of at 18, you're going to enter university, by 22, you're done, you're going to get your doctorate, by age, I don't know, 29, you're a psychologist. That was my goal. Anyway, so they um, closed down universities for about, I would say, five years. What I did was, what most people did were um, just going skiing, probably learn a second language or two, mm-hmm. hang out with friends, learning some musical instrument, because going outside Iran was almost impossible. During that time, I had, again, the best times and best memories of the ski days and the challenges of the hijab. Overall, you're young. You don't know what's yeah. happening to yeah. you. They had, we had, gosh, martial law, and we would still have a great time. And we were lucky because we had a beautiful home close to the mountains. My grandparents lived there with us, and we bought an apartment on the 11th floor at the very top of the best vista of the entire city. So we were lucky because all the kids in this building and I, we are lifelong pals to this day, and our moms were the best of pals. So we all had our groups without... So you could have the properties in the building without having to go in the street and be under the law. Absolutely. So we were lucky in that sense that, you know, we had the best time, you know, the most idyllic environment and parents knew each other. We would be downstairs. What were we doing? There were no alcohols, drugs, nothing. We would just play dodgeballs and hide and seek. That was such an innocent time. In that setting and being young, it was an adventure, you know. So... We were lucky. At the same time, we were worried about my father because he used to work for the government. But he retired two years before the revolution. To this day, my dad always maintained, stay out of politics, you'll live forever. And that's what happened. Because when the revolution happened, a lot of these his co-workers escaped the country, stole money. And he always said, I have nothing. There's no way for me to leave the country. This is my home. And when they started arresting everybody randomly, this kept my dad going, you know. They mm-hmm. kept on, you know, asking for him to come and answer questions, and they arrested him for two weeks. We, we didn't know where he was mm-hmm. for two weeks. That was the norm. So even then, he said, listen, I had that house that you see in the mountains, and this, and two cars. That's all I have. Mm-hmm. I think you would have a better, you know, idea go chase after the ones who stole from the country and left. I'm here. I have nothing to lose. I have nothing to hide. So that helped him, you know. But they blacklisted him for 15 years. So how did you manage to get out of Iran then? The five years that I waited, you know, we waited for a miracle. We thought, okay, the colleges, we have some of the best engineering schools in Iran even to this day. None of them really 
opened up and uh, even if you got in the um, requirements to pass the national examination were just so hard they just wanted their own people to enter and people who were not their type had no chance whatsoever so I tried different ways to get out of Iran and I have to say that my sister lived in the U.S. since 1978 the beginning of revolution she came to the U.S. to study and he resided in San Diego, California. So we always had that connection, but there was no U.S. visa. How can I get in there? So f- I would say four and a half years were wasted. We tried different ways of perhaps getting to European countries and then get to the U.S., but at that point, U.S. didn't issue any visas. And unbeknownst to me, there was a lottery, visa lottery, and my dad puts my name for French visa. So that's it. You know, I got a French visa. My mom and I left Iran. Uh, in Paris, we stayed with uh, my aunt for a couple of days, waiting to see if now Switzerland would grant me a visa. And they did. So on a day of the <laughs> visa, I burned Switzerland. We took a train, I believe. And uh, there were about 50 applicants. And it was my turn to go in. There was a lady consulate. And my mom being my mom, she just started crying. She just look at my daughter's grades. <laughs> She's wasting her time for you know life for five years, please. So she looks at my grades, looks at me. Boom. <laughs> Puts a stamp of approval and gives me a four-year student visa. So that was the American embassy American in Bern. American embassy in Bern. All these years I thought, why did I study so hard? I didn't see anything. That day, that... U.S. visa, that was my payback. That's why you work so hard. <laughs> and, you know, I entered the U.S., San Diego, via Swiss Air. Tons of my friends left the borders, hiding in caves, wearing sheepskin. Right. You know, in those days, there would be people who would get a lot of money from families mm-hmm. to take the kids out of the country. So I consider myself one of the lucky ones. You were, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So my mom accompanied me and stayed there for a month till I settled my sister. And then, uh, you know, she would come to the U.S. if they gave her granted a visa, which wasn't, probably was another maybe six, seven years before she got to see me. My sister got engaged and moved to D.C. So I followed and I ended up here in 1988 after I graduated so did you finally <coughs> study psychology or not? I studied, I studied clinical psychology. I had a BA in clinical psychology, but unfortunately I met my future husband three no. weeks after I came to Maryland. <laughs> no idea. I thought I'm going back to Iran probably, or I'd probably stay here to get my master's. And my best friend introduced me to my husband, to be. We didn't marry <laughs> then, I married a year and a half later, but that was my destiny to just meet him right away. So you were thinking of going back to Iran. I was, but I knew there was, it's not going to happen. But you missed, you missed Iran. That's why you considered going. Yeah. I thought, what am I going to do? I'm not going to, I'm not a marrying type. I'm not a, I better go back, be, you know, with them for a while. And then, um, but I knew I wouldn't be able to tolerate what's happening in Iran. I have a lot of friends and family still in Iran and I'm dying to see them. But then again, it's like. In those days, it was not urgent to go. And so where does your husband come from? My husband is also from Iran. He's uh, 
lived in the U.S. Uh, since he was in the U.S. in 1976, I believe, was studying engineering in Texas. He graduated, and then I don't know. He has he had a lot of families in Maryland, so they encouraged him to come here and start a business. How was it for you to move to United States at the beginning? You know, coming from Iran. Very easy, because this was. I hate to say, like the American way, quote unquote, was the way we were brought up. Very easy. We knew, you know, my English was pretty decent. You know, uh, we actually, uh, when I was thirteen, nineteen seventy six, we traveled to the U.S. Oh, you tour of U.S. with my dad. I forgot oh. to tell you that. So we had that exposure mm-hmm. as well. Five different cities in the U.S. So the goal was to, you know, have education in the U.S., but always going back. Mm-hmm. And serve your country. We never thought we would leave, especially my parents. It's just not in my wildest dreams. I thought I would leave those mm-hmm. two because I'm extremely attached to them and so dependent on them, and so are they, you know. <laughs> But it was very easy, and I loved it. The first year in the U.S., I loved it. It's just that my personality is, you know, find friends, and you know, I was the same way in Iran. I had tons of friends, especially in that close knit. Community that I had, and then the minute I entered the college, which was a U.S. international university in、uh, San Diego, it was a summertime. Not too many, you know, students were present. So I'm like, Rhoda, this was your goal. You wanted to be in the U.S. You wanted to do this, that. The idea was just to have friendships everywhere. Just such a idyllic, innocent <laughs> you know, point of view of life. And within two weeks. I think I knew half of the. <laughs> we had like three thousand students, and I think I knew half of them to the point that there was this Pakistani guy. He's like, "Royal, I've been here five years. I don't know five people. How is it that you know everybody?" <laughs> I said, "It's just that enthusiasm of being outside Iran and try my hands in different things." And so I struck up friendships with、uh, Swiss people for night dancing with this guy. Pakistani people for、um, what do we do? Cricket, bowling with the Malaysian group, <laughs> hanging out. I found out some Iranian pals, and we're still friends after all these. Excellent.、Things. Yeah. And do you remember what people thought of Iran at that time? Did they know where it was and See, what kind of country it was?、Uh, to this day, I think maybe ten years ago, they still mixed up Iran and Iraq,、mm-hmm. much to our frustration. Because we are totally different countries, different cultures, different languages, and then you know those hostage situations, the fact that you know the there was no diplomatic relations with Iran, negative thoughts I'm sure. But I have never once encountered anybody being disrespectful or mean to me. Never. I guess I never allowed it or hid that I was Iranian. I would go and introduce myself as such, trying to show that. Iranians are quote unquote normal, decent human beings, yeah. Yeah. but I know a lot of people hate it. They said we're from Turkey, we we're from、yes. yeah. But I always said I'm from Iran. But you you mean at that time when there was <laughs>、yeah. this hostage situation in、yes. Iran since Trump was hostage elected? Hostage situation,、uh, probably early '80s. Still a lot of you know, to this day you know there's、mm-hmm. always this head-on collision with the U.S. But I always tell my friends that. To this day, Iranian, the average Iranian loves America. They dream of moving here. So, 
just do not listen to propaganda and what this regime is portraying. So do not believe what you see on TV. Mm-hmm. So again, I never encountered anything negative to this day. And I was lucky. I'm not sure if I lived in red states, whether mm-hmm. it would have been different, but I'm sure it wouldn't have been. And usually the Americans no. are pretty nice and respectful. So. Being an Iranian and having an Iranian husband, mm-hmm. how did you translate that for your children? It's I a good thing to have your husband coming from the same background and we have that very much in common. Uh, we spoke Farsi with our older son. He spoke it beautifully till age five. As soon as he entered you know, the daycare and school here, put it in the back burner and then it surged back during high school as a show-off that I know a second language, <laughs> third language. My little one being, his personality is very shy. He understands it, but he doesn't speak it very well. But then again, he shows interest. Mom, can we just perhaps get some CDs and this and that? But every time my parents visit here, they, um, you know, their Farsi improves tremendously. Yeah. And you speak Farsi with your husband? Yes. Yeah. So they have it all the time? Yeah. And you were able to bring your children to Iran when we were young? Uh, yes, we traveled twice. I don't go often, my husband does every year. They have seen Iran, they liked it, they were amazed of how big their family is and how many you know, uh, cousins they have. We haven't been home with them for 12 years now. But we had a family reunion in Turkey. We asked them to just join us in Turkey so that they would change some scenery and have some fun with us and that was three, mm-hmm. week, three years ago so that was a great reunion and you know the good thing about Turkey is uh, for Iranians they don't require visas mm-hmm. so tons of Iranians escaped to Turkey and uh, Dubai it was a great time for us because my mother-in-law after that uh, got ill very quickly mm-hmm. we lost her um, a year ago so it was a great memory yeah. for us he had yeah. she had all the grandchildren in one photo so we cherish that memory better. And, and you still have your parents? Yes, my parents became U.S. citizens about 11 years ago, this, this November. Uh, it, it was so hard, you know, the process of first having my own green card, and then I had to, in order to have a green card interview, I had to leave the country. So the closest was Mexico, Juarez, Mexico. So my husband and I went to Juarez, which was like half a day. And I came back as a U.S. resident with the green card. And the follow with that would be citizenship. Mm-hmm. As soon as I became citizen, a citizen, I applied for my parents' green card. On a day that their papers arrived was September 10, 2011. September oh, 10. My. And then September 11 happened. And I thought, that's it. They're going to mm-hmm. probably close the borders. That was my, there mm-hmm. goes my hopes and dreams of ever having them come visit us. So after that, I think the policies, immigration policies, went under a lot of you know, overhaul as well. And the green cards used to take maybe six months to a year. It took up to three years. And during this three years, oh my gosh, paperwork every six months. Mm-hmm. Send them back. And, you know, those days, DHL, this and that. So it was a t- tough road. And they had to leave the country also to go to a neighboring country mm-hmm. because there's no U.S. embassy in Iran since yes. the 70s. Like, so it was another burden for my family to go there. 
but I think my dad's green card was a little bit delayed because they wanted to do a security check mm-hmm. because of his background. Yeah. The government. So once they got their green cards, the law requires you to be here in the U.S. for at least six months. In those days, or I, I guess still, if you you know leave maybe a day early or come late, then they give so. you a hard time. Yeah. So it was challenging, you know, they're aging, they're in their, those days they were in their 70s and 80s, so it was tough. So they came to live with you? Yes, and my sister, I have my only sister, mm-hmm. you know, we are both in Maryland, so they would divide their time between... Uh, so it was sister. strange for you to all of a sudden have a lot of your parents and you haven't seen them much Exactly, well, years. you know, it's, uh, it's great for us because, you know, in Iran it's very common to live with your parents mm-hmm. and have a large home before you get married you still can live with your parents mm-hmm. or vice versa and thankfully my husband has absolute understanding of this and we love that we love the hustle and bustle of the house and music cooking my goodness thank god my mother's <laughs> cooking so when they come it's vacation a lot of people are like oh your parents are coming i'm like it's heaven, you can understand. <laughs> it's heavenly. So the food's gonna be good. The food is fantastic. Breakfast, lunch, dinners, my <laughs> accountings, my bank statements, everything in the house. Speak and span. My dad takes care of everything. And uh, my mom loves the fact that my house has so many nooks and crannies. She always says to my older sister, I never get bored in Roya's house. There's always something to redecorate, <laughs> throw out. Or just, she has so much in this house. Gardening, and they're both really avid gardeners. And so, you know, they keep it up. And I cannot keep up with them. You know, not <laughs> touch wood, you know. So when they leave, is like really, really tough. tough. The first month is so hard on me. They're aging, so every goodbye is really hard. Mm-hmm. You know, we push them to just probably once every year and a half is the Mm -hmm. goal. But right now with the economy and inflation and the dollar exchange rate is horrendous in Iran. And we always tell them, you know, we definitely pay for your ticket. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. They're fiercely independent. They don't want to be a burden. But I know how difficult it is for them to even purchase the, you know, airline ticket. And the jet lag is tremendous. Mm -hmm. A week my mom, you know, is completely messed up. (laughs) And why don't you go? You said your husband is going... My husband always goes just out of... I don't know. I get sad. I have a terrific time, but I I just see a sad landscape. People still have the best time. Cafes, restaurants. I mean, I go see... I mean, I've seen the photos. Apartment buildings. Do you think you're in Paris? It's magnificent, but sense of sadness always takes over me that this is not where my people should be with all this pressure but then again a lot of people say we live better than you guys and i agree i agree they have learned to be resilient and enjoy what they have and they do my goodness they do (laughs) yeah i remember seeing um, a theater piece with a girl who was playing people in lebanon yeah. having coffee and pretending there was no bombing outside because you have to go on with your life. So yes. we have to have some kind of normalcy. Yes. To what to... becomes normal to yeah. us is incredible for other yeah. people. You know, they have tried to reduce the pressure on women and I see that. I, mean, I see some of these ladies, I'm like, where is your job? You know, they just 
the hairs are out, the makeup, you know, the, the women's resistance has always been, have always been in their makeup and attire. No matter how many times they arrested them, two days later, the lipsticks are, you know, <laughs> more red. The highlights are even more pronounced. The, you know, the, the jackets <laughs> are shorter. So they have let go tremendously. But for me, it's different. When I want to visit, I have the hijab, like a stricter hijab. I tie it, and like my mom always tells me, right, when you... She wants come. to be sure you don't have any... Problem. No, she tells me, why are you doing it ah. like this? Nobody, nobody covers <laughs> up like you do. <laughs> don't be afraid. I'm like, mom. So you're afraid she's going to keep you. Yes, yes. At any moment. That's American why I get nervous. Some of our American friends in the group, they're dying to see Iran, and I'm like, kind of hesitant telling them not now but at the same time there are other friends of mine like why not we have so many european you know tourists tourism is booming again because yes. they're you know inviting everybody and people love it the sad part for me is that i have to be a tourist when mm -hmm. we became adults we had to leave so i don't know 90 of my country It's funny, there's a um, statement saying, when you look at Iran's photos 40 years ago, it's as if you're looking into the future. They're so modern. We were mm -hmm. so modern. Yeah. My parents, my mom's college pictures, mini skirt, bouffant hairs, mm -hmm. makeup side by side with the ladies who had the long chadors, mm -hmm. the black veil. Mm -hmm. Nobody disrespected or even thought of disrespecting. We were the most secular country in the Middle East. When you compare your life here in the United States and the life of people who stayed in Iran, what for you are the main differences? You know, what you, do you think it's better here? Uh, what would you miss from Iran? Holidays are difficult, you know, or New Year's, birthdays. If my parents aren't here, it's tough. But, you know, after 35 years, what can I do? There's nothing I can do. I miss that. You know, right now during our being new with year. your family with yes. all this. You know, first year of spring is our new, you know, new year, which mm -hmm. is a celebrated for thousands of years in Iran. So the first ten days, people are off from work and holidays. So that's the time we really miss it. But uh, I think in here I have a peace of mind that uh, nobody really disrespects my privacy. Nobody is gonna tell me what I think. I can speak for or against anybody that I like or dislike. And uh, so there's that sense of freedom that we all experienced in Iran. Going home, you have to watch what you're saying, you have to be careful. And if you're not a political person, they nowadays they have no concern over you or they, they leave you alone. I think for them, they long for freedom, they long for less pressure and the sanctions, you know. Sanctions yes. have been brutal mm -hmm. for my people, and these governments must realize it's the people who pay for this. You know, my uncles are both surgeons, and they have been given medications and things from China that are not good standards. Yes. I don't want to disrespect China, but then again, uh, I have heard cases of patients going into coma because mm -hmm. of the sanctions, because of all the cheap medications and you know, well, they're not you know, properly certified. Exactly, and, uh, properly certified. I've mm -hmm. heard tons of the cases such as that, and the poverty is horrendous. 
perhaps the goal of this revolution was to destroy the class difference. It's mm-hmm. even worse right now. And, you know, we would walk down the bazaar, you see poverty, people just sitting behind the window longing for a piece of meat. Yeah. And in my time, I did not encounter that. We did have higher class, middle class, and mm-hmm. poor. But now it's just two ends of, you know, yeah. spectrum, yeah. two extremes. And traveling is even worse because, again, they have to pay an arm and a leg to get foreign currency. Still, I see their parties and wedding celebrations. I'm like, how did you guys manage to do this? <laughs> it's incredible. I don't see weddings like this in the US. Only celebrities can. <laughs> but it means that they have given very important. so yeah. much debt. The whole entire family has come together to p- pay for this beautiful night just to make sure this, their daughter or their son mm-hmm. have the best night of their life. So. Coming back to your kids, what are the values that you would think carry with you because it's from your culture that yes. you want them to have or understand or yeah. feel? It was tough, you know. My, my older one is pretty, he's a rebel, you know. <laughs> For the longest time, I would tell them, you know, respect to your elders and do not put your foot on the table. An American does. Excuse me. <laughs> and, uh, You know, my culture is such that greetings takes half an hour of saying hello and saying goodbye. Respect and courtesy, common courtesy is what we're proud of. I'm proud of my boys. Right now in their, you know, early 20s, I have instilled in them that respect. But it was very hard for my son in high school. He would say, Mom, you're telling me to say hello to everybody. You're telling me to say greetings to everybody but they look at me like I'm a freak <laughs> nobody does this in the US leave me alone please do not push me to be an Iranian it doesn't work here mom but then again I see you know my talks have paid off they're very respectful people they're you know but they're good kids they have that for our Nauru's a lot of people may not care to put a special spread yes, yes the for seven different seven symbols of spring But I made sure I did that, even at a smaller scale, so the boys would know and differentiate that this is a day. It's the biggest holiday in Iran, and Mm -hmm. it's been celebrated for thousands of years. And so this year, I, like every year, I did it, and I just saw this delightful reaction on my son's face, you know. So that's it. I look for that. And do you hope that your sons will do that when they have their home home and they maybe have children? I don't know about my sons, but... I hope so. I hope so. I'm sure they, you know, they may not show it now, but I hope they do. I think uh, they will to carry the tradition. They probably will. It's my hope. <laughs> but your your children are not involved in politics. None. Oh my God. The the minute I start the news, my son leaves the room. He just doesn't want <laughs> anything to do with the news in general. Yes. And I know in the background, he I'm sure he's very much studying it, reading, but he gets so upset by it. Because he knows what's happening in my country, what's happening here. But I tell them, you know, you have a duty to vote. And they That's have. That's true. When it's voting time, they are ready. I always tell them, you know that some countries, such as my own, they do have supposedly free elections, but it's botched. It's always their own. And uh, so you have to practice this very important right of yours. Don't take it for granted. Please don't take it yeah. for granted. Yeah. And I don't. I don't. I've seen it all. 
I may not look it, but I've seen it all. That's It's just that when this election turned the way it is right now, I kind of comforted myself that the U.S. needed to see this. They have to see the shades of hypocrisy and uh, dictatorship to see how it is. I know it's a lesson, you know, hard lesson to learn, but it's good for the Americans to see what they can do. Trying to discredit the media, trying to call journalists and enemies. This is what dictatorship. The right. very first step. In yeah, the very first step. Discredit yeah. them. Spread your own version of truth. Yeah, and I think it rings a bell for people like you and the people who know oh, what yeah. it means. Yeah, we escaped several dictatorship to mm -hmm. this country, and then this is happening here is unheard of. Yeah. For us, is even more frustrating. That how do people allow this? How did they allow this? Hopefully, mm -hmm. they won't anymore. Mm. Now, if I ask you to invite people to have dinner with them, you are curious to know them. What do you do? Imagine being perfect strangers for you. You know, it can be anybody. Yeah. Barack Obama comes to mind. I would love to. Because I'm so proud I elected, I was the person who voted an African-American into office. And I keep telling my sons, you know, you know what we've done, what you guys have done. I would love to meet him. Despite many people not liking his policy towards Iran, but he lifted the sanctions. So for a few brief moments, you know, people are happy. Definitely thank him for that, you know. And among other people, Leonardo da Vinci, I can also. <laughs> I've had my dinner table. I'm obsessed with them since I was, <laughs> yes. I was a kid. Oh my God, yes. Just, just how could one human being be capable of all this genius? So you would have Obama and Leonardo at your table. <laughs> That would be interesting, <laughs> you know. What do you need to For feel safety? safe? When my parents are with me, even at my age. And they're here. I have my best sleeps. <laughs> yes, me too. What gives you hope in general for this world? In general, you know, I'm pessimistic about the world and the planet, and I'm hoping my kids would be totally opposite me and you know be more positive about the future. My prospect of hope is not what maybe an American would see, because I've seen 40 years of. Yes. That, yeah. as opposed to, they have everything here. So they take it for granted and they say, of course I'm hope, hopeful. You know, Western societies and American European societies, of course you have hope. It's tough to be from that region, African, third world countries. It can change. We've In been manipulated it can be, yeah. for years by superpowers. And then once they make us leave our countries, they oppose us. Why are you... In our countries, well, okay. if you haven't messed up with ours, we wouldn't have dreamt of you know leaving it. I had a perfect country. I never ever thought I would live abroad mm -hmm. ever. Just studies, go back, serve your yeah. country. I'm sure all the immigrants that you see right now, that's what their goal was, but they have no choice, you know. So education, education, education is a must for countries who are struggling and uh, yeah. Roya, thank you very much. My pleasure. It was a pleasure for me too. Thank to you so much for you. having me.